It's Wednesday on Weagle, and that means it's time for some tailgate talk with Christian and Donovan, your go-to for all things college football. So get ready for a recap and a breakdown of all the college football scores, news, and predictions. So drop your tailgates, grab your playbooks, and get ready to talk some football. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to yet another edition of Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1. My name is Christian Griffin, and alongside me is the future QB1 of the Weagle Flag football team, Mr. Donovan Weaver. How you doing today? I'm doing really good. Hey, not confirmed yet. Not confirmed. <laughs> uh, you know, we actually we got our first game Monday, and we haven't held one practice. Don't know anybody's positions. Don't have any plays. But hey, I, I feel like we have a good, uh, good little foundation. We might can do something. Make yeah. a little noise. We'll, we'll we'll see what can happen. Uh, yeah, the QB one might not be confirmed, but what is confirmed? Is Donovan now knows the difference between cream cheese and cream cheese frosting? I do indeed. Me and uh, <laughs> me and Christian got together to watch the only win that the Braves got in the NLDS series. We got together. He cooked me a little dinner, very, very nice of him, very sweet. And then I'm not a big fan of cream cheese, and I thought that he had cream cheese to put on uh, the dessert we had. We had little apple fritters, and no, it just turns out that cream tre- cream cheese frosting is amazing, and it's, <laughs> it tastes nothing like cream cheese, but I loved it. Yeah, yeah, it was a solid day. Uh, again, with the Braves, it was nice for them to go ahead and give us a few more minutes of, of airspace because, you know, the past couple episodes we've been running running a little long trying to rush through everything, so it was very nice of them to, to clear up some space. So that way we can just go and talk some football. But before that, I will say one thing. Um, resign Dansby. I feel like everybody can agree on that. Oh, definitely, definitely. Not, I mean, not resign, but re Yeah, yeah, re-sign him to really whatever he wants. And, again, I think he loves Atlanta. I think we talked about this a little bit last week, how I feel like he'll sign a team-friendly deal. One of the best defensive shortstops in baseball. And, again, I think we were talking about how since we're taking the shift away, defensive shortstops are about to become a big, big Huge. key. Yeah, I mean, the only one that I feel like could even compete with Dansby defensively is Lindor with the Mets. I mean, he's obviously not going anywhere with the deal that he signed. But, uh, yeah, I feel like Dansby, with the shift being taken away, the defensive shortstop becomes all, all, ever, ever so more important. And I enjoy that. I like, I like seeing defense. I was always a defensive first guy. And so it's cool to see, you know, the difference of how the game will be played. Yeah. And then with that said, shout out to one more thing. Shout out Brandon Marsh. Uh, Philly center fielder. I went to high school with him. If there's anybody that I want to beat the Braves, it would be him. He hit the three-run homer in game four that helped the Phillies ultimately make it to the DS. So shout out to him. Go get a ring, bro. Yeah, so yeah. unfortunately the Braves did get eliminated. But on the bright side in Atlanta, the Falcons moved to 3-3 three and three with a dominating victory, 28-14 to over the 49ers. Marcus Mariona winning his first NFC Player of the Week award. I'm proud of him. He played really good, just efficient. Only had one incompletion, and that came in the fourth quarter. So you had that. And then tonight, the Hawks start their season. And I'm actually going to that game. I get to go see Jabari play his first uh, NBA game. Obviously, Jabari played at Auburn last season, was a standout, one of the best players in all of college basketball. He makes his debut tonight, and I will be there to get to see it. It's really cool, too, seeing him making his debut in Atlanta, you know, being an Atlanta kid, making your NBA debut in front of essentially your hometown. Like, I feel like that's a – that's a really cool thing. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of Auburn fans there. Actually, I know there were a couple couple giveaways here on campus, and yeah, if you said you're going to it, I'm sure it'll be it'll be a cool sight to see him play at the next level. Yeah, no, very much so. And I, I think he I think he's going to end up being. I feel like he's one of those players where he his like his base is he is at least going to be an all star, yeah. but his ceiling he could be like a Kevin Durant type player, just okay. like out of the sport. Right. I'm serious. I'm ser- <laughs> I, I'm putting I'm putting that on him just with the with his physicals he's got. I feel like he can be a, a stud, like top ten player in the NBA one day. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. But yeah, we got a we got a very good show for y'all this afternoon. We're gonna start with actually a little bit of tailgate trivia. Uh, I got a good question for Donovan here. We'll give him a little bit of time to think and we will go back to it a little later on in the episode. And we got a week seven recap, followed by one of our new favorites. He is the man, Heisman with the in it. Uh, essentially, you know, the helmet stickers, picking out our top player or players of the past college football week. Then we got who's hot and who's not. We're going to come out with a little bit of a twist for that one. We'll get there shortly. Well, uh, 
follow that with a little bit of tailgate history. Uh, I believe we, we did that one other time, but we're going to bring that one back, and we'll finish it off with a Week 8 preview. If we ever get to Auburn, we, we will, but a bye week, so at the same time, you know it. Kind of a lull here. Yeah. We really, a lot of questions uh, here on campus for Auburn. Really, no one has any answers, so I don't know how much we're going to talk about that. No, yeah, but we will start it off with a little bit of tailgate trivia. Once again, I'm going to ask Donovan a question, and we will get back to it here a little bit later on in the episode. So, Mr. Donovan, there are 13 Division One FBS programs that do not have their nickname ending in S. For example, Auburn Tigers ends in S with their nickname, the Tigers obviously ending in an S. There are 13 Division One teams with their nicknames not ending in S. How many of them can you name? We'll give you a little bit of time to think. We'll come back to that a little bit later on. And I'll give you a little wager. If you buy, if you get half of them, Chick-fil-A's on me. Uh, I think Chick-fil-A will not be on you. Probably is going to be on me. But I, I will, I, I will, I'll mull it over. Let's first, let's get to the Week 7 recap. First off, we have the Michigan Wolverines. I know a lot of people were kind of like, this was the game. This was. Are they the real deal? Well, they kind of looked like the real deal. They blow out Penn State 41-17, to uh, outgain Penn State 568 yards to Penn State's 418. And then I'm going to talk about them a little later, but the Michigan running backs, uh, Donovan Edwards and Blake Corum, rushed for a combined 339 yards and two touchdowns combined. Both went over 150. That's wow. Uh, yeah, if you're talking about uh, you're talking about the Michigan running backs a little bit later on, then we might have to to make some adjustments. We'll find that out here in just a few minutes. But yeah, again, uh, just Michigan dominated the top ten matchup. I mean, I can think of two key plays for Penn State. It was the pick six that they had, and then Clifford's run for what sixty two yards or something like that. But other than that, I mean, Michigan literally did dominate the game. Uh, brings us to man again. I lost a lot of heartbreakers this past weekend. I feel like there was one or two plays in each of the games that I lost that could have could have had a lot of change in the overall score. And this one's the first one, man. USC and Utah. Both quarterbacks looked absolutely amazing. Uh, Caleb Williams, we worried that he would struggle on the road. We worried how legit USC was. Well, he went 25 of 42, 381 yards and five touchdowns. He also had 57 rushing yards on eight carries. And then Cameron Rising, who we've talked about, him being one of or part one of the two, uh, one of the best duos in college football, went 30 for 40, 30 of 44, 415 yards, two touchdowns. Also had three rushing touchdowns on the day and the two point conversion to ultimately seal the, seal the deal and seal the loss for me. Yeah, I was say I actually predicted this game right, so I was very happy. And at first, I thought I was going to lose this, but you know, Utah just kind of kept chugging. And again, just another shout out. I've been high on him all season. Cameron Rising, I think he's a stud. He's had a couple games where, you know, just like everybody does, just didn't look uh, particularly that great. But again, as you said, four fifteen with two touchdowns, just. Absolutely stunning, and then uh, Tavon Thomas, who I who I do believe is their best running back, only had 28 yards, so not a great game for him. But hey, they won, so I guess that's all that really matters. Yeah, and what a call at home too. You feel like at home, you feel like it's usually the away team that would put up a late touchdown and decide to go for two, but so so it's a a gutsy call. I mean, ultimately a great call, obviously, because if it if it works, it works. If it doesn't, then you know you're hated. But ends up getting the two-point conversion to take the W. No, it's that classic case of if it works, you're a genius, and if yeah. it doesn't, you're an idiot. So, yeah. and I guess I guess he's I guess he's a genius, so yeah. it worked. But then that that brings us to what I thought was kind of a just kind of a ugly game, not very not very exciting, but they got it done. The Orange get it done. Syracuse handles NC State 24 to 9. obviously NC State didn't have their quarterback Devin Leary, he gets hurt uh, in the uh, in their win against Florida State, and just you could kind of see with that NC State offense, they're pretty much nothing without Devin Leary. Yeah, they really are. It's funny seeing a bunch of the basketball teams that are you know known for being blue bro- blue bloods uh, in college basketball actually having some solid football teams this year. Whether it's Kansas or I mean North Carolina's, I feel like they've been pretty solid for the the past couple of years. Kentucky the same way, and now now Syracuse. So they're Bringing up, bringing it up in in football here too. I mean, they're undefeated. They're two of two uh, of the only ACC team still undefeated, along with Clemson. And then, well, I mean, that game's this week, so I, I guess say, well, that's a big one. And then, see how good they are. Uh, and then, probably the game of the week. There's a couple of good games, but this one was big. Uh, TCU comes back to beat Oklahoma State in double overtime, forty-three to forty. TCU had five hundred and ten. Uh, combined total yards and outgained Okie State by like over 150 yards. Uh, with that comeback win and double overtime, what 
what led the the Horn Frogs to kind of overcome that like uh, early surge by Okie State? Well, I mean, if we're being honest, it's the fact that Max Dugan doesn't turn the ball over. That TCU offense has five total turnovers this year. Only one of them from Dugan has an interception. And with how explosive that offense is, it's crazy to think that they're playing within themselves. You know, you, you think fast, 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 but the faster you play, the more liable you are to make mistakes. And to see a team week by week putting up 40-plus points, but then especially in a game like this where you are expected more in the first half to chip away, chip away, chip away, not feel like you have to make all the comeback in one play, but the ability to take drives and turn them into points without turning the ball over. I mean, again, we've talked about it numerous times here. If you win the turnover battle, most of the time you're going to win the football game. Yeah, usually you win the game. And uh, just with Max Dugan, I know you're really high on him. I mean, we've talked about him a ton. He just keeps – we keep on mentioning him. And yeah. every time we mention him, it's always positive. Exactly. It's, it's never negative. It's either he played a great game or he did enough to get the job done. He's just – He's playing like a stud right now, and then obviously I took I mean took a lot of guts to come back because I picked Okie State in that game. And I thought they had it in the bag around th- third quarter, and then obviously you know TCU just kind of kept chugging along and, and ended up getting that win. But that does bring us to Kentucky with the with a lot of people considered an upset. I don't really know how much of it was. They did have Will Levis back, who I still think is one of the best quarterbacks in college football. They pretty much dominate Mississippi State twenty seven to seventeen. I I don't think that score really encapsulate how bad they did dominate them. Because, I mean, th- this was the total yards. Uh, Kentucky had 478. Mississippi State only had 225. That's it. And then the Kentucky running back, Chris Rodriguez, rushed for 197 yards and two touchdowns. Just all over State's defense. They couldn't stop the run at all. No, they really couldn't. I mean, you can, t- you can almost tell how good an offense is doing in the run game based on how many carries your, your running back one gets. I mean, he had 31 carries. Again, you said for 197 yards and two touchdowns. Yeah, Kentucky's defense looked really good. They stepped up huge. Coach Stoops challenged uh, the defense prior to this game because of what Will Rogers and that air raid offense at Mississippi State does. And yeah, the fact that you mentioned 220, what was it, 228 yards of total offense for Mississippi State? Uh, yeah, 225. Uh, 225. Yeah. And Rogers threw for 203 of them. So you're getting 22 rushing yards on the ground on the road. It's hard to overcome. It's hard to win. Yeah, it really is. And then uh, kind of bringing it back to Will Levis, uh, just a solid combat game. He was hurt the week prior. Came back 17 of 23, 230, a touchdown. He did throw an interception. But, I mean, again, when when Rodriguez is rushing for 197, you can kind of just do those little dink and dunk passes and get a cool 230 and come out with a pretty easy win. Pretty pretty light game for Will Levis. But – uh, I think we're going to go to a little break, and then we will come back to what really was the game of the week. I know uh, I harked on that Okie State TCU game. We thought that was going to be the game of the week until 2.30 CBS kicked off, and, well, the the tide rolled into Neyland Stadium and didn't quite go too well for them. But we are going to take a little uh, break. You are listening to Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1. And welcome back to Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1. Uh, one more game to go in the Week 7 recap. Tennessee uh, upsets the Alabama Crimson Tide 52-49 to uh, on a game-winning kick, a uh, f- little 40-yard kick with uh, as time expiring. But that last little, like, three minutes was just just like – it was like a little mini game in itself. You, you see that a lot with college football where, like, you have a long game, especially with the high-scoring games like this. Like, people just score, 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 score. And that, that last four minutes, like a little mini game. And really, if you just watch that last four minutes, you pretty much, you know – you you watch you watch the game. That's yeah. kind of how it went. But I don't know. What do you think? Uh, just all around, I, I could go on about how Hendon Hooker played amazing, and he did uh, three eighty five through the air, five touchdowns. Obviously, Bryce Young did his thing over four hundred yards. Um, was it fourteen combined touchdowns between the two teams? Just offense, just crazy. They both went for over five fifty in total offense. But the thing that really, I know the thing that kind of erupted the fans, at least for Alabama, was that pass interference that set up the Tennessee touchdown to tie the game. And then but then I will say, Bama fans, you got the ball back yeah. with two minutes or two or three minutes left. You go down there and then you throw three pass plays to keep time on the clock, miss the field goal, and give Tennessee time to go down there and throw one pass. Um I wasn't a big fan of that those three passes just uh I I, I didn't like that coaching decision by Nick Saban. No, I didn't either. Um Again, yeah, it's one of those games where neither team, I feel like, deserved to walk out of there with a loss. As weird as that is to say, 
Alabama looked good enough to win, but Tennessee really did. They really did look good. Other than Hooker's one mistake that he threw, I mean, they really did look like a complete team. And it was from the first drive. I think Alabama went three and out or maybe got one first down. Tennessee got the ball, drove down, and scored. And at that point, you know, everybody was kind of looking over each other like, oh, okay, maybe this you know, this Tennessee team is legit. And it's funny looking at them as you say Tennessee walks away with an upset. And the spread and every everything would tell you that. But I feel like college football football fans wouldn't tell you that. That's why you were so crazy that I picked Alabama because it was like, although Bama, when Bryce Young was confirmed back, Bama went up to a nine and a half point favorite. But it seemed like everybody was on Tennessee, and that's just such a weird situation to to say, especially being Auburn fans, and we know what Alabama does when they're favored, and then especially when they're not favored. It doesn't happen very often. That was why I picked Alabama. And yeah, this is my other game that was a complete heartbreak. Again, I don't know why those three passes and then you just rely on a field goal kicker who, you know, Nick Saban might might, might have had some struggles with that position in the past. Um, But yeah, just an an overall really weird game. A great game to watch if you didn't care who won. And then that 40-yarder, it wasn't pretty. (laughs) Oh, oh, (laughs) oh, it was was just, it was, uh, you know, it's so funny. So I got to watch three and a half quarters of this game. Yeah. And then, so I was down in Tallahassee this weekend visiting my good buddy um, who goes to Florida State. Uh, heartbreaker in there. They lose to Clemson. Made it a game. It was a better game than you think it'd be. They uh, did. Um, especially uh, Florida State. The Clemson kind of kind of was blowing them out of the water. And Florida State made a pretty good uh, comeback there. But we didn't get to watch the end of it. And I don't know if y'all have ever been to Dope Campbell, but some of the worst service in your life. <laughs> like, like you can't even send a text message. You're like, you know how like, you send the I message, yeah. and then you'll send it as a text message? Even the text message wouldn't send. Nice. That's how bad the service was. Well, finally, an inkling of service got in, and somebody goes, oh, my gosh, Tennessee just beat Bam on a 40-yard kick. And like, <laughs> we're like, what the crap? So I had to wait, like, Four hours to just watch like the last what what happened. It just blew my mind. It, it makes me upset I didn't get to watch the end of it. But uh, no, just a wild, wild ending. But I know a lot of people. Again, a lot of people want to harp on that pass interference call. That's not no. To me, it was that those three plays that you got three incompletions. You put time on the clock. You missed the field goal, and then Tennessee had time to run a play, get down there, and beat you. Well, I mean, honestly, there's a couple of things that you can look at. I mean, regardless of what penalties occurred. The muff punt is one of them. That's a huge thing. I mean, Alabama finally gets a stop. You know, I feel like everybody that was wearing crimson was all of a sudden, you know, taking a deep breath and all of a sudden Kool-Aid McKinstry gets out of the way. We'll talk about it a little bit later on. And then they come up and feel the need to try to run the punt back and it muffs it. Tennessee ends up scoring, going back up two touchdowns. And after that, it just felt like Alabama dug themselves an even deeper hole. But once again, feel like we'll talk about that a little bit later. One thing that I do want to mention, though, is Jalen Hyatt, um, his NIL evaluator. You know, with college football having NILs nowadays, everybody can look up what the projected value of their name is. And before that, he was projected around $167,000 for his NIL evaluator, which in itself isn't, you know, isn't something that I would complain about. I wish that wish that co-hosts could have NIL evaluators for for us. But following his six-reception, five-touchdown game, his NIL evaluator went up over $500,000 to north of $650,000. And that's just crazy. You put up a stat line against, versus Alabama like that, and, I mean, it's life-changing. No, it really is. I mean, again, as you said, I mean, only six catches, 207 yards, five touchdowns. That's just – Wow! Again, we we actually talked about this before the segment. Um, if you want to go ahead, we we can. You want to do? He is the man, real yeah. quick. Okay, so uh, world renowned. He is the man. Love this segment. We pick out uh, a player or a coach that we think did a lot of really good work uh, in you know this week or last week in college football. Kind of like helmet stickers. And none of us picked. Like we both didn't pick Jalen Hyatt, but we we both talked about picking. And we we're like, "Wait, did you pick him? Did you pick him?" And he was like, "No, yeah. we didn't pick well, him." I, like, thought, oh, I thought you would pick yeah, him. Exactly. I, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, again. Uh, so shout out to him. He, he can be like our little honorary one because I, I feel didn't, like he can be the unanimous. He can be one, the unanimous honestly, one just because but, you you put up that kind of stat line. That's well, deserving of it. Uh, yeah, I guess we're just putting a lot of he is the man because I actually I have two players for he is the man. Uh, going back to him, I talked about him a little a uh, little bit. The Michigan running backs, Donovan Edwards and Blake Corum, combined rush for 339 yards, four touchdowns. 
Edwards rushed for 173, and then Corum rushed for 166. So pretty much identical games, and they both averaged around like nine yards a carry, which is wow. And I, and again, it's a testament to them, but a testament to that Michigan O-line because Penn State's run defense was supposed to be the big thing. Like That's the thing they're really good at, and Michigan just torched them with Edwards and Corum. So they are my picks for he is the man. Yeah, it's funny. We talked about this you know, meeting up beforehand, and I went on the exact – other side of the ball for the exact same game. Uh, my he is the man is Jesse Minter, the Michigan defensive coordinator, and what he did against a great run defense and a great quarterback in Sean Clifford, allowing 17 points. But if you look at it, Michigan's offense gave them seven on a pick six. And again, that 162-yard rush from Sean Clifford was essentially the only thing that they had going for them the entire game. Penn State had 268 yards of total offense, went 4 of 12 on third down, 1 of 4 on fourth down. They had here, – here's the, here's the big stat that I was trying to find right here. Penn State had the ball for 18 minutes of that game. Michigan held the ball for almost 42 minutes, and that, that's just crazy. I mean, you think about some games where offenses are scoring in minute and two-minute drives to where – you know, they don't need the time of possession. But in a game like this, where you're in the big house, you're playing in a game like that, you need time of possession, especially as the away team. And holding the ball for just over a quarter through four quarters, that's that's amazing to me. So my he is the man is Jesse Minter, the Michigan defensive coordinator. Yeah, I mean, again, there's a lot of really good performances in college football this week, but I guess you can say that about any week. I just, it just again, it amazes me to see what, how some people will just come out of nowhere. Maybe they just really – you don't even know their name until they just have one of these, like, incredible weeks that just blow your mind. But that is going to lead us into uh, a little special episode of one of our, our world-renowned segment. I'll let, I'll let Christian introduce this because he wants to play a little twist on this. Yeah, so the Who's Hot, Who's Not is one of our favorite segments to do. We're able to think of four of the best – I guess, things that happened within college football, the game within the game, not necessarily a stat line or a score, but news or anything related to college football. We usually have four good and four really bad. But I was going through, rewatching some highlights for games and stuff like that, and I realized that there were a lot more knots this week than hot. So we just have a list of who's not, and that's what we have here. We have seven who's not, which – I feel like it's a great thing to have. We have one of them that could be a hot, and I guess I'll go ahead and start off with that one. Uh, it's Mr. Jeremiah Crawford. You know who that is? Of course you don't, because I wouldn't either. A Tennessee offensive lineman, and now you might be picking up where I'm putting down. Uh, he pukes in the huddle against Alabama, and while he's doing it, he's looking at the Alabama defensive line, and he finishes throwing up and then proceeds to look down the Alabama defensive line and nod, almost like a, yeah, here we come. I'm not going to lie, I loved it. Again, <laughs> if it if it wouldn't have went against the grain of us doing the little twist of who's not, who's not, this this might have been pretty far up there on yeah. my who's hot. I loved it. No, I mean, yeah. I, I'm because I didn't get to see it live. I, I don't know if I was in the bathroom or something. But when they, uh, I was checking, I was scrolling through Instagram and I saw it. And you know, you see him puke. And I'm like, oh, that kind of sucks. Like you've seen pe- people yeah. puke before, and then just looks up and stares straight at the Alabama D line and nods the head like, yeah, like yeah. And I'm just like, oh, it's kind of a weird flex. But you know what? I, I kind of dig like it. it. Yeah. 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 Like I mean, that again. I think you just. Uh, we were talking about it, and you just said, I love college football. Yeah. I was yeah. say, it's kind of like the most college football thing ever for just an offensive lineman to just puke on the field and really then is. use it as like an intimidation. Yeah, play. I guess that's, yeah, it's, it's one way to go about intimidation, but I guess it ended up working. Yeah, I guess it did. Uh, so next on Who's Not, we have Mr. Pat McAfee. If you don't know who this is, he is, I mean, he's really blown up in a couple years. So he was a great punter for the Colts. Uh, like, uh, he's on. It's actually on the Hall of Fame ballot right now. We'll see if he gets in. Uh, retired early, started kind of doing media. Has his own uh, podcast, which is very popular, and I like. It. He's very, very entertaining. Uh, works a little bit for WWE, so a little wrestling. And now he's on Game Day, so now you know, a bunch of y'all probably know who he is now. He he uh, wanted to show his athletic prowess to do. He wanted <laughs> to do a little backflip into the river while on Game Day. And messed it up a little bit yeah. and landed straight on the belly. Didn't didn't have the height on on the on the jump, but you know, he would never let you know that it hurt. But if you watch it, 
you know, doing a backflip and only going about 270 degrees backwards and, yeah, straight belly flop. I'd give it a 10 if we were rating a belly flop. Oh, but, a very good belly flop. But when you call it a backflip, it's hard to hard to call it that. And, yeah, it's a, it's a rough scene to, to watch a grown man belly flop on live television. Uh, yeah, I just he just – just yeah, again, didn't get enough air under it, but I still loved it. So again, I mean, I, I guess a lot of these are uh, pretty funny. I feel like usually when we get into the who's not, sometimes they're either really hilarious or they're just like bad, yeah. bad. And that one, oh, that that one falls into the hilarious. Yeah, side. no, it definitely does, and that's why we love the segment, just the creativity. But I will bring it into just a an oh, just because I really feel like that's the only way to describe when you're watching and what you're hearing. But Paul Feinbaum, um, mm-hmm. coming coming out of the coffin. Oh God! I, as in the, the coffin is in Tennessee colors. Coming out of that, saying like Tennessee's alive and stuff like that. Like I don't. It, it's one way to go about it, but I, I can't tell you that I watched it and was like, "Yeah, let's go." It I, was more of a. What? Yeah, well, like, again, I'm going to be honest, but back when I was little, I loved wrestling. So I love The Undertaker, the yeah. song. I love all that. And they were doing it. I was like, okay, well, what are we doing here? And yeah. then when he got out of the he just, it looked awkward. Yeah. And I know, I like, and then the game day, like, reposted on Instagram, like, like the side by side with The Undertaker and Fine Bomb. And I was like, guys, it's a hard comparison. One, one guy's a seven foot, 10 massive, uh, <laughs> no, sorry, seven foot massive dude, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. And the other one's Paul Feinbaum. Yeah. Like, it just, I didn't, I know what he was trying to do. A for effort, but, ooh, it was cringy. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately for him, it didn't get better. Uh, following the game on Saturday, I don't, I don't, I don't agree with this take. Uh, it's hard to look at Alabama and go, yeah, they're going in the wrong direction. They're getting, they're poorly coached. I just, don't, I don't feel like those two things match up following one loss, especially at Neyland, arguably the loudest place to play in college football. And then on top of that, the resume that Alabama has. I mean, if you would have told me that Auburn went into Neyland, put up 49 points and lost on a game-winning field goal, I would have taken that. I'm sure just about every single team in college football would have taken that. So to say that against an Alabama, yeah, against an Alabama team and a Nick Saban and coached Alabama team I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I like that take. Well, so I didn't love that take either. But we will have to. We will have to take a quick break, uh, and we will finish with the "Who's Not Who's Not" special segment <laughs> when we come back. Uh, but you are listening to Tailgate Talk on Weagle ninety one point one, and welcome back to Tailgate Talk on Weagle ninety one point one. We are finishing up with our last three who's not and who's not. Yeah. Uh, just a bunch of knots uh, on here today, and this one was really funny. So uh, UNLV is playing, the great UNLV. They're playing, and the ref kind of looks up. He kind of looks up in the stands and says, huh, they're banned. I'm, I'm not vibing what they're doing. <laughs> the head referee of this football game just runs up into the crowd and just starts, to, I guess, talking to the band director yeah. about something. I'm not really sure what he told him, but, I mean, I guess he just told him to, like, stop playing. They, they were doing something, and then they just resumed the game like nothing happened. I was like, I've never seen that before, a referee go into the crowd and tell the band to shut up. No, yeah, I haven't either. I've heard it once where, you know, they made the announcement over, like, the microphone or whatever. Um, but, yeah, so he stops the game, runs into the stands, and I guess I guess what we've learned is that in the Mountain West, you can only play at very certain points. You can't play like how SEC does, how, you know, when the team's in the huddle, you can play your third down music or whatever. I guess you can't do that in the Mountain West. And that's what they were doing. You can only play commercial breaks, halftime, stuff like that. But whenever the opposing team is on the field, you can't do anything to increase the noise, which I find kind of interesting. I feel like that's almost a home field advantage type of deal. But, yeah, head referee, he did not didn't like it. So it's funny seeing him walk up the stands and the camera follows him all the way up there, talks to the band director, walks back down, and then they keep playing. So, I mean, I guess all is well, but – for all we know, he just wasn't. Pl- Maybe they weren't. Pl- they played a song that he didn't like. Uh, that's fair. I mean, he was just like, you know what? No, I'm not feeling Michael I'm, Jackson tonight. Uh, I'm putting my foot down. <laughs> uh, actually, be quiet. Uh, I don't want to <laughs> listen to that. Yeah. Um. Going back, we we've had a lot with the whole idea of Tennessee Alabama, but I have another one, and it's just the the muff punt. I feel like that's got to go. That can't go unspoken. Bama finally gets the stop that they need to get the ball back and score and close the deficit. 
Kool-Aid McKinstry is the Alabama's punt returner. Shout out. What a, what a name. Kool-Aid McKinstry. It's a name right there. But he avoids the punt, I guess. Um, he realized it was too far in front of him. Let it go. And Mikel Stewart, I guess, thought that he touched it, which is weird because it was like eight seconds afterwards. So he tries to pick it up, which is another fault within the, within the fault. If you thought the punt needed to be returned, why don't you fall on it? So that way you still have the ball. But no, he decides to pick it up and run. And Tennessee was all over it, picked it up, fell on it. And Tennessee ends up scoring and increasing the lead. It's just a... Wasn't a, wasn't a good look, and it definitely wasn't a good look for Saban on the side. Oh my god! Okay, yeah, real quick. I this could have been a not. By the it way, all, yeah. Whenever Nick Saban gets mad at all, it's it might be the funniest thing on planet Earth. Yeah, he just starts screaming. I the one I remember the most. Uh, it was the 20, 2017 Iron Bowl. It was right before the half. Um, oh, when they got the one second. Yeah, back. they they yeah. got the one second back, and Carlson got to kick kick it and CVS shows the highlight and it shows Nick going crazy like yelling and then it cuts to Gus Malzahn going boom yeah. and then he hits him with another boom a little double boom which I thought was pretty nice but we're gonna stick on Alabama Tennessee this is just the Alabama Tennessee recap show, it really but, is it kind of is but I mean in fairness it was a huge game um Jermaine Button former Georgia wide receiver now playing for Alabama transfer there uh, so Tennessee storms the field after they beat them, as most people do when they beat Alabamas. I mean, especially after you beat them after 15 years. We yeah. didn't even mention that. 15 yeah. years and they beat them. So, again, congratulations to the Vols. Seen smacking a woman following the loss to Tennessee. Not a great look. I know they were looking into criminal charges. I don't know if those will hold because it wasn't like a egregious thing, Just, but definitely a bad look for him. Yeah, a bad look for them, a bad look for for Alabama in itself. Granted, it's hard being a player and having to maintain your coal at a place like this. So, again, as much as I don't agree with what he did, I can only imagine, you know, what's not seen as the DMs that he gets all week or the DMs that he gets following the game. And being a 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old, 20, in a hostile environment, you got things shouted at you on the sideline the whole time. Following the game, if fans are running up to you, it's I mean, I can I can imagine how hard it is to remain calm and to not do anything like that. So again, I'm not don't want to give him the benefit of the doubt, but it's a it's a it's a tough situation for for everybody on hand because you want to make sure if you're the security that the Alabama football team gets out safely. But then again, he was kind of just like walking around. So I don't know. There's a lot that can be can be seen with that. But speaking of rushing the field, last one, last Tennessee thing. As we've all seen, Tennessee storms the field. They're on the field forever. They tear down the goalposts. One of the goalposts actually makes its way all the way down to the Tennessee River, which I think is is awesome. Just the the ability for the fans to come to come together and walk however far it is all the way to the river and throw it in there after a historic win. What I don't know is a great look is Tennessee follows that up with a, a tweet and a GoFundMe saying like, hey guys, we need to play a football on Saturday. Um, here's the link if you want to fund us to get new goalposts. Like, huh, like maybe beat Alabama – more than once every 15 years to where say, the fans like, like that, don't have to do this. That's a perfect come on man uh, thing. But, you know, just like pay for the goalposts. Yeah. You know, obviously. <laughs> I mean, when did Auburn make the – did Auburn – remember in 2013 when the shrubs got destroyed? Yeah. Auburn didn't wasn't like, y'all are going to pay for the shrubs. Yeah. They're just like, you know, whatever. And also you get a fine for rushing the field. So, But, again, I feel like it's worth it. Come on, Tennessee. Like, just pay for the goalposts. Like, I, I'm sure they're not cheap, but how expensive can they be? Like, come on, guys. No, they have enough They have enough people in their system. I mean, Peyton Manning and Morgan Wallen could pull that money out of their sock if they wanted to to, to pay for the goalposts. I'm, I'm sure your boosters will be more than happy to pay for some goalposts every year. They'll probably do it every year as long as you get a win. That's what I'm saying. I mean, that's that's one of those complaints that you wouldn't you wouldn't bother. You, you don't care about the $100,000 fine. I mean – get your NIL guys to to pay for it cuz that's not not something that can't be budgeted for. It might not be in the initial budget, but again, if they win every year, I'm sure you could manage that. Yeah, I'm sure you can manage that easily, but uh another segment that we're bringing back, 
uh, tailgate history. I'm gonna throw this over to Christian because he's he's the one with all the space. And by the way, uh, just a shout out to Christian. All these uh, segments we do, that's all him. I don't do anything. I am lazy. I just like to act <laughs> like I'm like oh I'm a little host. I'll, I'll say the thing. Christian is the man. Been doing all this, so I appreciate him more than anything. But tell us what happened in uh, this week in tailgate history. Yeah, so I got two of them. There's one college football one, and then there's one Auburn one. So yesterday and today. Way back in 1873, I don't know if you were alive for that. I'm hoping not. But um, the first rules for intercollegiate football were written. Representatives from Rutgers, Yale, Columbia, and Princeton helped write all of the rules. All story programs. Yeah, and that honestly shaped college football to be what it is today. And I just feel like that's a cool, it's a cool little stat or a cool little history date to think of. Like, I can only imagine being one of those four, eight, or however many guys there were that were sitting there going, all right, so we have to make sure that the offense and the defense start at the exact same time. What happens if one of the teams moves early? Like, I don't know, like, that's just such a cool thing that you, we all love this game, but to be one of the creators of what happened. And then it brings the other question of, man, what would those people, what would they think of college football today? with uh, not only how different the game is played, but with all of the penalties and all the rules that we've implemented over the past couple of years with the targeting and stuff like that. You know, back then, obviously, you didn't see headhunters that that we see now, but I can only imagine what they would think of football today. No, it's kind of interesting with football. I'll give all those, all those, uh, all those people credit. Besides, besides player safety issues, I feel like the game really hasn't been touched. No, yeah, like minor tweaks, like maybe the overtime they'll tweak it, and and even when they do tweak it, you're like, why'd you even touch that? It was yeah. it was fine the way it is. But it is kind of cool to look at and see like how many rules they implemented are still used today. And again, if you took all the 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 medical rules out like the targeting obviously which are all great and I, mm-hmm. I agree with all of them player safety is really important it's cool to see how they kind of they kind of nailed the head on nailed nailed it on the head like the first time yeah yeah no that's a really cool thing to think about again just having the the what if already taken care of you don't ever you don't have to ever play and go oh shoot like this play hasn't happened yet because no you've already thought of everything that could possibly happen. And that's just a really cool thing to to imagine being the creator of something as big as football is today. And then our second little today in history, uh, it's one of those games that I feel like will go down in Auburn history forever. So little baby number 24 Auburn heads down to Kyle Field for the very first time to face Johnny Football and the seventh-ranked Texas A&M Aggies. It's a back-and-forth battle all game. Two guys named Nick Marshall and Trey Mason. I hope you remember those names. I thought, I thought they were pretty good. Yeah, put up put up three fourth-quarter touchdowns. Speaking of those two, I think those two might be one of the most underappreciated duos in college football history. I really, I, It's a bold statement to have, and I guess you could have a little bit of bias, but what they did in this year, especially in 2013, after going 3-9, and nine, to re- to lead lead Auburn to an SEC championship is just unheard of. Well, it's so bad is not only do I think they're unappreciated in college football history. I feel like they're unappreciated in Auburn history. Yeah. I feel like you know people think like um, Cadillac, Ronnie Brown, and then Jason Campbell, and then uh, and then you got Damian Craig, and then you go back. Not a lot of people talk about Nick Marshall, Trey Mason. I think Nick Marshall is really low key, and I don't know why people don't give him more respect. One of the best quarterbacks to ever come through Auburn. No, I 100% agree, and I feel like the only hate that might come from that is his inability and his inconsistency to throw the ball, but you lead a team to an SEC championship and to a BCS national championship, I would take some some overthrows <laughs> or something like that. But yeah, so three fourth quarter touchdowns on the road. D Ford comes up with the huge fourth down stop and the sack on the scrambling Johnny Manziel. And Auburn defeats A&M 45-41 on their way to an SEC championship. And you would think that that 2013 season, you think you would think that this would be the craziest game of the season. Uh, I don't know if you remember you know, a few weeks after that, but there was one that happened. And then even after that, there might have been you know, another crazy play. But I guess that's, that's a story for... Uh, another time we'll have to we'll have to save a, a second uh, or two for <laughs> I like that I like for, that a lot for that for that little that little nitbit but 
Yeah, there's so many plays that I remember from that game. Obviously, the Trey Mason stretch over the goal line to score, and everybody's celebrating, but then you're like, oh, shoot, did we leave him enough time? But the play that really stands out to me, and I don't know why I remember it so vividly, but the third and nine wheel route late in the fourth quarter on the drive where Trey Mason extends the ball over the goal line. I guess, shoot, if we want to talk about plays, that Sammy Coates stiff arm and the throwdown, I feel like that's almost a, I was a about play in to, itself. I, I was about to say, I have two vivid memories from that game. That's the Sammy Coates th- stiff arm throwdown to the ground, like the standover. That was yeah. amazing. And then obviously D4 tracking down. One, probably might be one of the most elusive quarterbacks to ever play this game. I mean, you just couldn't bring Johnny football down. No. And D Ford, he got after him he on did. that final play. Yeah, but that third and nine wheel route, I don't know why it stands out in my mind so big. But I mean, obviously, I guess it was because we were down three at the time, not in field goal range yet. But Nick Marshall throws an absolute dot on the sideline into the sun. I don't even honestly think the receiver saw it. It almost just like hit him in the shoulder pads and he like held on to it. But that play right there was such a humongous play. Again, that goes underlooked in the season that we had that year. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, we're going to have to take a quick break and then we're going to have to zoom through these week eight uh, uh, previews. But you are listening to Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1. Well, we've had enough time for Mr. Donovan to think about the question. Once again, we'll we'll recap it real quick. So the Tailgate trivia for the day was there are 13 Division I programs that do not have their nicknames ending in S. There's 13 of them, and I told him if you got half of them, I'd buy Chick-fil-A. So, Donovan, how many did you come up with? I didn't quite get half. I got six, oh, unfortunately. Uh, I got six, so I got Alabama, Crimson Tide. Felt okay. like that was probably the easiest one on there. Yeah. The Syracuse Orange, they're pretty, pretty unique nickname. Thought that was pretty easy. Uh, got these pretty easily, too. The, uh, we have two uh, Wolf Packs, but they're Wolf Pack. Uh, we have Nevada Wolf Pack, then the NC State Wolf Pack. Uh, I know this purely because of the great movie. If you've ever go watch We Are Marshall, if you need to. But the oh, Marshall, yeah. uh, they're the herd, so that's the other one. And then the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, and those are my six. And I got to be honest with you, I I, I racked my brain again because I got those pretty quick, and then I had no idea. I was trying to go through conferences like these must just be the smallest teams you've ever like heard of. Yeah, no, there are a couple of them. Um, we're going to start off Illinois, the Fighting Illini. Okay, well, that's embarrassing. That's... I should have got that one. Okay. <laughs> uh, you got Marshall, the Massachusetts Minutemen. Okay. Yeah, that's a, that's probably one that you wouldn't necessarily think of. One, one that I thought you might get, the Navy Midshipmen. Oh, I didn't even think. Yeah, that's yeah, bad. That's, that's bad. That's and I watch them, too. You watch in the Navy Army yeah. game every year, too. So it's not like, okay, gotcha. And then moving on, the North Texas Mean Green. I've actually seen them in person. They played. Uh, they played the Tro- my Troy Trojans when I went uh, freshman year. They played them in New Orleans in a bowl game. We beat them. Yeah. So, uh, and I have a friend that goes to North Texas. So again, I should have got that one. Yeah. Uh, this is the one that I definitely thought that you would get that would bring you over the hump. The Stanford Cardinal. <laughs> They're not the Cardinals. Nope. No, that's a yeah. That's a bait. Oh my, that's terrible. Yeah. No. Yeah. And then the final two. Um, Shout out to their first ever AP ranking, number 25, the Tulane Green Wave. Green Wave, yeah. Okay, and then Tulane. the Tulsa G- Golden Hurricane. The Golden Hurricane, yeah. The t- so, okay, well, I'm not going to lie. I, again, besides probably Massachusetts, I probably should have got most of those teams, yeah. Again, though, that's, it's, it's such a – I mean, you're looking at it now like, oh, it's so easy. But when you're looking at 100 132 and- FBS football teams that there are, it's, it's very tough to – to narrow it down, especially going through conference. Like we said, I could think of uh, like ACC and stuff. I was saying I came up with nine when I first did it, and I was like, there's no way that there's more. Um, but definitely giving you 45 minutes, especially while we're doing a show, respect. Thank major, you, thank you, Major thank respect. You. Yeah. But yeah, that'll bring us down. we got to move a little bit quickly here um, to a week eight preview. We'll start off with Syracuse at Clemson. Clemson. Coming off a very close win at Florida State, but hosting an, an undefeated ACC matchup, and they're 13.5-point favorites, which is a little bit surprising considering how Syracuse is undefeated. But granted, that game was pretty ugly against um, NC State, my bad. Um, but, yeah, so what, you, what do you think about that one? Uh, so, again, I, I mentioned I was down in Tallahassee. I got to watch the Clemson Tigers in person uh, this year. 
Uh, they're pretty good. And DJ, their quarterback, again, I think I've talked about this. I can't say his last name. Not even going to attempt it. Not going to butcher it that bad. But he's a stud. They looked good. They kind of dominated Florida State. It was like a close game for about a quarter and a half. Then they yeah. kind of started to pull away. And then I think they just let their foot off the gas pedal. But Florida State's actually a sneaky good team. So I feel like that's a pretty good win. Plus, that stadium was rocking. Like, yeah. respect to Florida State fans. They're, uh, they're starting to come out now. They're starting to believe in those Knowles. But, uh, you know, 13 and a half. I feel like that's not too bad. I just don't know how good Syracuse is. I think they're good, but I think talent-wise, Clemson's much better. Plus, it's at home, 13-and-a-half. I don't feel like that's too bad. I'm not going to go that far. I'm going to go 28-20. I think uh, Clemson doesn't quite cover, but I do think they win. Okay. Not really comfortably. I I think it'll be a four-quarter game. Right, yeah. I mean, that's a respectable one. Clemson has 37 straight wins at home, and that's that's a hard number to, to change, and I don't see that number ending here. Uh, the only scare for me is it's a noon kickoff for them. And hosting and being a favorite, you can see that team almost kind of kind of stall, especially you know when they're the favorite. And I think the main difference or the main the main thing to look at for this game is the Clemson defense because Syracuse is twenty six of twenty eight in the red zone this season. So they're almost one hundred percent if they can get into the red zone. So that Clemson defense is going to be challenged. But, again, how good is Syracuse? How good is the ACC? You know, that resume that they have. Beating NC State, obviously, this past week was a good win. But without their starting quarterback, shows how much NC State relies on that. And I got him right at the spread. I got Clemson 31-17. to 17. Okay, that's not too bad. I could see that happening. Uh, real quick, we'll try to go through these really quick. Number seven, Ole Miss, is traveling uh, down into Death Valley facing LSU. And I wasn't even going to talk about this game until I looked at the point spread. Yeah. LSU's favored by one and a half. Now, when the line opened, Ole Miss was favored, but that's shifted for some reason. This is a really weird game. Obviously, Ole Miss is undefeated, the only undefeated West team in the SEC. LSU's 5-2, and two, uh, coming off a big win against Florida. But I feel like both these teams are weird because Ole Miss undefeated, but they've looked awful in a couple of games uh even like this past Saturday their d- defense looked terrible against Auburn and then you have LSU who has looked great at times against people like State and then you saw that Auburn game where it was just like just terrible but Jaden Daniels uh LSU's quarterback did throw for 349 and three touchdowns against um against Florida last weekend so is LSU kind of on the come up or or how do you see this game playing out no I mean I think LSU and Mississippi State we'll talk about them for a second or two later but I feel like they're very similar teams it literally is a coin flip type of team that it's like which one's going to show out and for some reason LSU was flipped on heads more times than tails but again we don't know how good they really are Uh, not necessarily a a talent thing but I will respect LSU and their media team for stuff for the underlying shots that they take at other teams Um, you know when they played at Auburn you know Auburn's hype video um, talks about you know some call it a luck some call it a miracle we call it home. Uh, they, Their caption for their Instagram was, you know, it wasn't a luck or miracle. And just like little stuff like that. And again, this past week, um, all of the LSU fans and Brian Kelly were all singing I Won't Back Down in the Swamp. And just like stuff like that. Like, I don't know. It's major. It's respect for me just seeing how they're not necessarily taking direct shots at the teams like that but I love seeing like seeing stuff like that however I don't think it's going to help him at home I guess you can call it an upset for Ole Miss but I got Ole Miss taking care of business 42 to 21. Yeah I think Ole Miss takes care of business too I got them I I see Ole Miss scoring a lot 49 to uh 38 I feel like LSU puts up I feel like Jane Daniels has a good game but I feel like Ole Miss's offense is just too good and they'll uh they'll kind of blow it out of the water Real quick, I guess we just need to give score predictions on these. Uh, number nine, UCLA versus number 10, Oregon. Oregon is favored. Again, or, since that loss against Georgia, they've looked unstoppable. How do you see that game playing out? Yeah, Bo Nix is having fun. Total 20 touchdowns. I think it'll be a shootout, but the main question is, can Oregon defend the run? And I don't know if they can. Dorian Thompson-Robinson, he's averaging five and a half yards per carry. As the UCLA quarterback, I think it's going to be a barn, burner, a barn burner, a shootout. I think UCLA takes the cover, but give me Oregon in the points. I got Oregon 41-38. Oh, I like that a lot. Okay, I got a, I got a little a lower. I got 31-28, but I also do have Oregon. Plus, it's at home, and again, Bo Nix is having fun. I, I think he might uh, lead a little game-winning drive, and let's say a little field goal to win as time expires because okay. I like those kind of games. I like it. And then we have number 20, Texas. They are favored by 6.5. Now, this one's really interesting. Texas is favored by 6.5 
against number 11 Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State's at home in this game, and also Texas is coming off an ugly win against Iowa State where they won 24-21, to and Okie State's coming off a game against TCU, who we both are really high on. I think Oklahoma State's great. How is this cover for Texas at home? Yeah, um, I think it's one of those things where they're almost saying that you know Quinn Ewers will be back 100% again. He was questionable against Iowa State, and Iowa State is almost known for having one of those comeback wins or you know something weird like that. So the fact that Texas was able to avoid that type of game, I don't think that Ewers will look – well, he didn't look bad last week, but I don't think the offense will stall two weeks in a row. Give me Ewers to step up big for that offense, and I think Texas covers. I'll take that shot. I'll say Texas wins 45-34. to 34. I said it last week. I think Texas is the best two-loss team in the nation. You know, I, I would have said that, and then I did watch that game Saturday, and I get it. Ewers isn't 100%, but I've always loved Oklahoma State. I love that orange and black for some reason. I've always loved them, and I'm taking them too. I'm, ta- I'm Not only am I taking them to cover, but I'm taking them to the points. I think they win 38 38- to 30. I think they win by eight. I think it's a close game, though. But, uh, yeah, I, I got Okie State winning that. Real quick, number 24, Mississippi State versus number six, Alabama, both coming off losses. Alabama is favored by 21.5. Do you even think this game's going to be close? Again, it's one of those things where it's like which Mississippi State team shows up, which Will Rogers shows up, can the offense move the ball. And it does raise question marks seeing what Hooker in that offense did against Alabama secondary. But Alabama at home, I feel like, is, you know, does what they do at home. I'll put it right at the cover. I don't have a points for it, but 21 and a half, I'll give them that. I'll actually concur with you on that. I feel like Bama, I feel like State might play with them for a little bit, but then Bama's going to kind of blow it out of the water. And then uh, last one, number 17, Kansas State, uh, going into number eight, TCU. TCU is favored by four and a half. Obviously, TCU's coming off that big win against Oklahoma State. And then Kansas State's coming off a bye. But their previous game was a win against Iowa, 10-9. to How do you see that one going? Yeah, Kansas State, again, is one of those teams that can easily surprise people and go 10-2, and but then also not surprise people and go 6-6. Six and six. And I feel like it's a toss-up with those games every single year. I'm high on Dugan. I'm high on the offense that they've established around him. And because of that, I like TCU to win outright. I got it 49-35. to And... You know, Adrian Martinez, he's doing good things at Kansas State, don't get me wrong, but that TCU offense is electric, and again, they don't turn the ball over, they don't make mistakes, and I think that's good enough for them to get the win. I actually think TCU kind of blows them out. I got it 42-21. I, 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 uh, I think Kansas State's good, but I think TCU's really good. So, And I think that offense, again, uh, Max Dugan, big on him. That does do it for the show this week. Thank you all for listening. We will be back next Wednesday at 3 p.m. You are listening to Tailgate Talk on Weagle 91.1. Thanks for joining us on this week's episode of Tailgate Talk with Christian and Donovan. Tune in next week, same time, same place, Wednesdays at 3 for your weekly dose of college football.